Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Romans chapter 12, if you will. Romans chapter 12, we have kind of entrenched ourselves a little bit in this topic of distinct, being distinct, different, distinguished for the kingdom of God. Let me, let me actually pull up these definitions while you're turning there. I gave these the first week, but I want to just hit on this again. The word distinct, just in, in, in the English dictionary, means this, recognizably different in nature recognizably different, recognizably, it's evident, it's apparent, it's, it's on the outside. A lot of times, uh, and we thank God that what he transforms and what God redeems is from the inside out, amen? I thank God that he didn't just redeem me from the outside in, that this isn't just a show and this isn't just religious practice and formality, that there is a real transformation on the inside. But what Paul is saying is what took place on the inside ought to become apparent on the outside. What, is, what God has done for us in the unseen should be revealed in the scene. Amen? And so he says this is recognizably different in nature. That means what comes natural to you. You know before we came into the world, or before we came into the kingdom, rather, that we had natural worldly instincts. The instincts, what, what naturally came to us, our, our, our first instinct, a gut reaction, if you will, the, the first impulse that came would have been to respond in like manner with the world, with the culture around us. See, the, the culture is a funny thing because if you don't set it, then it will set you. So if you don't determine the culture you want to be in or the culture you want to create, then ultimately it will change you. And so he says, that, or, or, or rather in this definition, to be distinct uh, is to be recognizably different in nature, readily distinguishable by the senses. Readily distinguishable. That means what people hear from you should be distinguishable from the world. And I'm not just talking about sin and, and, and holiness and righteousness. Of course, those things are a part of this. But I'm telling you, if we're responding out of fear when the world is responding out of fear, there's a problem. When we get anxious, when the world gets anxious, there's a problem. When we respond with malice and hatred, when the world responds with malice and hatred, there's a problem. If we're not distinguishable, if we're gossiping along with everybody else, if we're chiming in and picking up on the cues from the world, we're not distinct, not distinguishable by the senses. So clearly apparent as to be unmistakable. I love that. So clearly apparent as to be unmistakable. And I know many of you have had opportunities whether you have either recognized someone that was distinguished or someone was recognizing you being distinguished. I remember one time uh, before I got into full-time ministry, I was working, I worked at a bank in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. When I had first moved there to help uh, uh, Pastor Earl and Marcy start the church down there, help with that plant. And uh, before, you know, I went on full-time and got a salary and all those kind of things uh, that you, you strive for in ministry, I was working outside the church, my wife and I both, doing children's ministry and, and whatever else was on the table. I remember I was working 
there in 2008, and in 2008, it wasn't a great economic year. I don't know if you remember that or not, but, but all that I heard every single day going into this bank was going under, how horrible the rates are, uh, mortgages were you know, just being foreclosed on left and right. I mean, and, and, and at the end of the day, I was surrounded by you know, four or five employees who daily were afraid that this was the day someone was walking through the doors telling them our branch is closing, our branch is shutting down. And, and I never once was moved by it. I'd make stupid statements like, this job doesn't pay my bills. That's pretty distinguished because everybody on this planet thinks I work to make a check, to make a living, to take care of. I mean, that's just the honorable thing to do, right? That, that's what a man's supposed to do. You don't work, you don't eat. You gotta, and, and I just let them know, God's the one sustaining me. I moved here for ministry. I came here. I didn't come here on my own accord, on my own initiative, on my own will. I moved here from Texas, the greatest state on the planet, and, 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 and you know, to come out here to the beach, which I'm not even a beach guy. Some of y'all are like, dude, you're hating on everything we love. Not a big deal to me. And I moved for God. My purpose was kingdom. My purpose wasn't to, to climb the ladder in this company. And, and so I wasn't moved. Well, I became pretty distinct that day, that year. What do you, what do you mean? I mean, aren't, aren't you looking for a job? No, because God will find me one. He got me this one. I wasn't even looking for this one. That's distinct. This is what I'm talking about, guys. We're, we're in the world, but not of the world. We don't respond in like manner to the world. And I'm telling you, if we're looking and responding and acting and behaving like the world, there's something wrong. There's so, if, if the world is all agreeing on a thing, <laughs> that ought to be an indicator. Well, hold on a minute. Before I just jump on this bandwagon, before I just get a hold of this campaign, before I just chime in with everybody else posting on social media about what just took place in the news, before I just become an... We have created echo chambers where people just repeat what they hear and see and repost and, and resend and retweet and recomment what they've heard from somebody else. We need voices in the land today. I don't need echoes. I need voices. I need a voice from heaven. I need someone to declare the kingdom has come and his will will be done, and it's going to look different, and it's going to be distinct, and it's going to be set apart. It's going to be unmistakable. Unmistakable, he says. So in Romans chapter 12, and again, I'm going to read out of the two passages that we've been using. You know these verses, but in Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, I want to start with, in the Passion Translation, this is how it reads. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. But beware, inwardly transformed. We've got a church right now that's more focused on being outwardly transformed. But we need a church that is inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. You've heard me say it a thousand times in this church. If we don't change how we think, we cannot change how we live. If we do not change how we think, we cannot change. There is no hope in your life if you refuse to change how you think. But a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will 
as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. And the Amplified uh, reads this way. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. We said this, I think, last week, that the only alternative to being distinct is blending in. That is your only option. You either stand out or you blend in. I love that the the word of God makes this clear. This verse makes it so clear to us that, that I'm either adapting to what's around me, conforming, uh, you know, to use the verses of the New King train, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but do not be conformed. So the two options are simple. You're either being transformed or you're conforming to what's around you, becoming what's around us. And again, the whole mission, the whole goal is not just to stand out. I said this last week. If you want to just live life standing out, being distinct, uh, being set apart, if that's your only goal, you're just going to be weird. At the end of the day, you'll be weird. You'll be different, but the goal, the mission is to get the kingdom of God in heaven into this earth, and we cannot change a world that we are becoming. We cannot change a world that we are becoming, that we are adapting to. The church has bought a lie for long enough now that I've got to be relevant with the world, to relate to the world, to attract the world, to address the world. I have to become like, and I have to be in their settings. And and look, again, when, when, when Jesus prayed to his disciples or prayed to God about his disciples, he did not pray that God would yank them up out of the earth. Y'all remember that? If geographically being set apart was what God wanted, then Jesus would have done it right then. He's not talking about a geographical separation. He's talking about an inward, internal separation. That I'm going to literally put you in the midst of what is opposing you and confronting you and challenging you. And and you're going to be so set apart in the midst that you're going to change the culture around you change. And I just believe that the church in these last days is going to start changing culture, is going to start changing legislation, is going to start changing what we accept as good and wrong, what we accept as up and down, what we accept as left and right. I just believe that the church is going to come in and before this thing is all said and done, we're going to see heaven on earth. But it's going to take a demand for distinction. It's going to take uh, being intentional about being distinct. It's going to, what is that noise? It's gone now. See, all I have to do is just say something, and it's amazing how quick that phone gets cut off, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Usually I just let it go, but that was enough. I was like, something falling apart out here? It's, I don't know what that was, and I don't want to know what that was. So... So we exist to negotiate the realities of heaven into the realities of the earth. We exist to negotiate the realities of heaven into the realities of the earth. So distinct has got to be a demand. Distinct has got to be the intentionality. So we've looked at several things the past uh, several weeks. First, we said that we've, we've got to be distinct by the word. We've got to be word people. Jesus made it clear, I sanctify them by your truth. 
Your word is truth. I sanctify them. I set them apart. I cleanse them. I make them distinct. That's what sanctify means, to make distinct, to set apart. He says, by the word. The word contains the capacity to make you distinct, to change you, to transform you. It has redeeming qualities within it. It has a renewing capacity within it to absolutely change who you are. And I'm telling you right now, people that stand for truth are quickly standing apart. Have you noticed this? I read something a few weeks ago that said, if you want to look weird today, just live like we used to live 50 years ago. The things that were normal 10 years ago are abnormal. And the things that would have been abnormal 10 years ago are normal today. Just accepted. Normal is always just one step away from tolerance. Let's just understand that. Normal is always just one step away from what you tolerate today becomes normal tomorrow. That's how close it is, guys. How did we get here? How did this you know, thing fall apart this quick? How have we come so far? It's, it's just steps of tolerance, little by little, that before you know it, we're calling normal what, what used to be abnormal. I know not a lot of churches are preaching this. I understand that. But that's, that, that just makes us distinct. <laughs> that makes us distinct even in the church community because this is what you need to hear. My job is not to relate and to be relevant to Jesus. What, 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 what had to? He, he did nothing that the sinners did, and yet changed them and redeemed them. Was he right in the midst of them? Absolutely. But he didn't have to partake of their culture. He didn't have to sound like them, look like them, behave like them, act like them. And, and, and yeah, he was weird. He was so weird that even his own disciples decided, "Bro, we can't follow you anymore. This eating of your flesh and drinking of your blood stuff, no." He turned to his own disciples and said, you going to go too? Jesus was weird enough that even the people that once followed him so closely began to question whether this was the direction they wanted to go. No, your relatability is always going to be, how can I relate to the word? How grounded and founded on the word am I? And can I just say this, and I'm saying this as a pastor, I'm saying this as a father, I hope that you hear my pastor's heart today. I know that there are leaders and, and pastors that miss it and blow it, but, but can I just tell you one pressure that us pastors have? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this as lovingly and as fatherly as I can. But one of the biggest pressures pastors have is we are preaching the word of God to people that don't read the word of God. I'm just being honest. This has to be a daily function of ours. I cannot. I, there's no man on this planet, not even Jesus himself, can change a mind that will not get in the word. In the little amount of time I'm given on a weekend, and that's if you come every weekend, and that's if you're under preaching and teaching, every weekend. There's no way possible you will see the change that you know the word promises you, the redemption that, the, that you know God has planned for you. Just coming and sitting in this room for, for 45, 50 minutes, an hour, uh, 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 once a week, there's no way that's possible, guys. 
We, we as pastors, we know what this can do. Partly because we've seen it work in our own lives. None of us are perfect. None of us are, are above mistake. None of us are here today because we've lived such a holy, righteous life and never blown it and never missed it that we have now been qualified to stand and hold a microphone behind a pulpit and tell you what to do. We all know the redemptive work, and we know the power it has to change your life, but it cannot be done from a pulpit to a pew where the most activity you even give it is hearing, maybe taking notes and highlighting a few scriptures. It's got to be a part of your daily practice. I know that's a tall uh, ask in 2022, but I'm telling you that nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. The word still has the transformative power, but it still takes disciplined seekers of God. Not getting in the word as religious practice and formality. Not getting in the word, okay, let me spend my, because you love him so much, I've got to be in his word. Because I love him so much and want to bear his image so much that this has to transform. I've got to get rid of old thinking. I've got to get rid of old acting. I've got to get rid of old ways of doing things. And this is what contains the power. It's in your living room. It's on your phone. It's right there. And again, I say that as fatherly as possible, that, that, that the pressure on pastors in this day and age, we, we have the greatest access to the word of God this planet has ever seen. But we might have the most scripturally illiterate church on the planet. I would almost go this far, scripturally intolerant. That we can't even tolerate the truth of the word of God because it doesn't jive with the acceptance and the tolerance and the, and the low level that we have reduced the word of God to. And every time we reduce the word of God, we chisel away at its power. We chisel away at its capacity to redeem and to restore. That's not for condemnation. If anything, it's for conviction to say, man, I've, I've got to make being in the word a daily practice. I, I, I don't want to just have a habit of being in the word. I want to have a heart of being in the word. Y'all with me? Is that okay? We, we, we good? We've got to be people of the word if we're going to be distinct. Number two, we said that we are distinct by power. Might be the most, the most evident, most apparent way that the church is going to be distinct because where there is no true distinction, there's always a lack of power. And so we said last week that the church was designed to operate and demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. The power to redeem, the power to restore, but guys, the power to cast out demons. You know, a lot of what we call feelings and a lot of what we call legislature and a lot of what we call different names is really, honestly, guys, a spirit. There's a spirit of fear behind it. There's a spirit of bondage behind it. There's a spirit of destruction, a spirit of death behind it. And we're not going to attack spiritual elements with natural resources and win that battle. We never will. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our churches. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our cubicles. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in Walmart. Yeah, you know you need the power of the Holy Spirit in Walmart. You need the Holy Spirit just to find something up in there. Amen. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
in demonstration. And the church was never designed to operate in this earth without power. If we're going to have the word, then we need the power of signs following and confirming the what? Preaching and teaching of the word. We need those. And not just miracles. Not just the miraculous. But the power of God to operate and work in someone's life and to completely restore. And and, and you want to be distinct? Draw on power. You want, you, want to, you want to be set apart and stand out? Lay hands on somebody when they say that they're sick. Just ask them if you can pray with them. Because not very many people get that. We, we, they might get a lot of, oh, I'll be praying. Stop and pray right there. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I, I have people, you know, as a pastor, they, they, they give me or text me or, or different things, uh, you know, that, that are going on, different struggles, different challenges. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe, you know, something's going on in a relationship or whatever. You know, we, we, we get pulled on in that manner. And, and almost every single time, I'm not going to stand up here and say 100% of the time, but very close, I stop and pray that right that much. If someone will text me, I'll call them and say, hey, can I pray with you on that matter right now? And almost, I mean, depending on the person, the relationship, but a lot of times I'll get a, 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 yeah. Like they're they're impressed that I would stop what I'm doing to literally partner with heaven about the situation. Not just the simple, oh, we'll be praying, but literally engaging in the activity right there on this. I mean, if we believe prayer works, why would we wait? And if we believe prayer works, then why would I just tell you but not go do it? And if we believe prayer works and the prayer of two of us agreeing on earth, touching anything, then I'm going to get on the phone with you. I'm going to say, hey, let's agree together right now. And then to go a step further, my prayers are usually different than what they expect to hear. Because I'm usually praying and then I immediately move to thanking God for answering the prayer. See, when you've asked God for something, you don't keep asking and asking and asking and asking. I mean, if I ask my wife right there, uh, you know, can you please come give me my water that's sitting down there? And she comes and hands it to me. It'd be ridiculous for me to keep saying, can you hear my water? I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? Can you, can you give me water? I gave it to you. If I believe that I receive when I pray, then what am I moving toward? Thank you for answering the re- And so then I move into celebration. I move into praise. I move into thanking God that he's heard my request, thanking God that it didn't fall on deaf ears, thanking God that I serve an alive God on the other end that's ready and waiting to answer my petitions. And I start moving to praise. And, and you know, I'm sure on the other line, they're like, when's he wrapping this thing up? I was just telling you I was having a bad day. It's distinct. It's different. It's set apart. It's demonstrating heaven on earth. It's simple things like, I'm not trying to make this super spiritual, super weird, super. This is the, the simple ways that you can bring heaven to earth in just a moment like that. And whether you believe it or not, I know I touched heaven. Whether you agree with me or not that we're going to see this person live and not die, I, I, I know I just touched heaven. That faith moves God. Amen? So we want to be distinct in power today. Getting into this, I want to talk about being distinct in love. Being distinct in love. I believe a church that truly understands, comprehends, and operates in the love of God will be set apart 
in days like today. Today, I'm, I'm not going to be real preachy, real, uh, you know, demonstrative, because this subject, the love of God, may be one of the most misinformed, confused, distorted, even perverted subjects on the planet today. Right up there with grace and mercy. Of how does the love of God operate? What does it look like? Is it harsh? Is it bold? Is it patient? Is it long-suffering? Yes. And right there, we've already brought in confusion because we're wondering, how can you be, how can you set a standard and be long-suffering at the same time? How do I reconcile those two? How do I operate with grace and mercy and forgiveness, but also giving people time to Repent. What does this look like? And, and I, I've said this again many times. Whatever the world is confused about, even the church is confused about, whatever gets attacked, whatever gets distorted, whatever gets challenged is usually a good indication of what's important. The devil doesn't have time to mess with stuff that's not important. But he's gone after some things in our world that are ought to be primary foundational things that we are able to lay solid groundwork on, able to come eye to eye with, yet he has found a way to distort and pervert and twist and hide the truth so well that we as a church can't even come to common ground on something as simple and basic as the love of God. So I hope that we can address this Because we need a church that operates in the true love of God in these last days so that we can be set apart and be distinct and bring heaven to earth. Go with me to Romans, I'm sorry, Acts, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's amazing that the love of God would be such a foreign subject to the church of God. You know, the Bible tells us that God is love. He doesn't just show it. He doesn't just have it. He doesn't just produce it. He doesn't just give it. God is love. So if I'm misinformed on God's love, guess what? I'm misinformed on who God is himself. If I'm misinformed on what the word of God is, the word of God is, was made flesh and dwelt among us, that's Jesus, then guess what? I'm getting confused on who even Jesus is. The enemy knows how to challenge the identity of God in our lives by attacking these principles that God and his word, God and his love are one and the same. So if he can't get you to think one way about God, he'll get you to, get to think one way about his love. He'll get you to think one way about his word. He'll get you to think one way about how he behaves and how he acts and what his values are, and therefore you're challenging God himself. Challenge the identity. Challenge who he is. Challenge and question his intentions and his motives. You know, I remember the uh, Israelites in the wilderness in the midst of their grumbling and complaining. There was even a moment, it's actually found in Numbers chapter 14, where Uh, When they refused to go into the promised land, refused to believe 
the good report of Joshua and Caleb, right? That, that this is the promised land, we can go in. When they refused to believe the report of the Lord and believe the negative report of the ten spies, there was a point where they wanted to uh, stone Moses and the leaders. And then they even made this statement, did God bring us out here just to die and be devoured by our enemies? How do you get to a place of disbelief so far that now you're actually challenging and questioning the nature and motives and intents of God the Father. It's those little, accepting little words of deceit, little words of deception. And this is why being in the word is so important because when devotion is low, deception is high. When devotion is low, when I'm not grounded and securely devoted to God and his word, guess what? I become easy prey to the devil who roams around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may deceive, seeking whom he may cast off guard. Why do you think he he fights so hard from you being here? I mean, it rains and we got people that are like, whoa, yeah, that's too much. You go too long. It starts at a different time. I don't like that. Why do you think that the, 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 the enemy is trying to disconnect you from the house of God, from the word of God? Why do you think he's always vying for your attention? Why do you think every time you do decide to sit down to, to be in the word, the phone rings, the email comes up, a problem arises? Come on. The devil knows if you get disconnected, you can be deceived. He knows this. And he can question and challenge everything to a point where you begin to question and challenge even the nature of God himself. Who just days before brought them through a Red Sea. I know we hear these stories like, man, they're crazy people. I can't believe they would do that. We do it all the time. We come right out of one miracle and the next one that, the next opposition that shows up, God, where are you at? Why'd you get me in this situation? Can't believe you do this to me. We start challenging and questioning. If the level of our devotion is miracle to miracle, we're not grounded properly. I need a groundedness in his word that secures me through any challenge that comes, through any dismay that may arise, through any question that may try to show up. In, no, this is what his word says. This is what, and this, this has to bow. This situation cannot take me out. I will not be susceptible. I will stay connected to the word. In Acts chapter 20, this is what Paul says. I'm reading this out of the Christian Standard Bible, verse 25. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's real positive, Paul. I know that none of you whom I went about preaching the kingdom, he preached a kingdom, he preached a very specific message, will ever see me again. Verse 26, therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you Because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. The Amplified reads it this way, verse 25. And now observe, I perceive that all of you among whom I have gone in and out proclaiming the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify and protest to you on this our parting day that I am clean and innocent, and not responsible for the blood of any of you. 
Here's what he says in verse 27. For I never shrank or kept back or fell short from declaring to you the whole purpose and plan and counsel of God. Paul's letting us know that if you are going to accurately live the word of God, you've got to know the whole counsel of the word of God. And in our culture and in our society, especially with the subject of love, we have picked and chosen the parts of that subject matter that we like or that fit. We do this with a lot of things, but specifically regarding the subject of love, the reason why this this message today might be a little difficult or hard to hear is not because God made it hard to hear, but it's because we have we have picked part the word of God. We have accessed only the parts that we like. We keep those. We highlight those. We put them on refrigerators and bumper stickers. And then the the parts that are hard, the parts that don't jive, the parts that might be difficult for our flesh, which is supposed to be dying and getting crucified anyways, doesn't like to accept, then I, 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 I reject those. And Paul's saying, I know for a fact, I spent my life in ministry giving you the whole counsel. There's nothing I held back on. There's nothing I shrank back. There's nothing I was afraid to give you. And I'm telling you right now, we have a shunning of the word today. We have an epidemic of the shunning of the word that now we only tolerate bits and pieces of scripture rather than the whole counsel of the word of God. I mean, you, you, can, you can now scroll through Instagram, and if you have ministers or preachers in your Instagram feed, you can get little 30-second to one-minute clips and feel like you've gotten something. And then there's even some, some uh, preachers and pastors uh, that I follow that I love, and I, and I know that they are endeared to the Word and they value the Word, but they'll put a clip out that's just a little short piece of the whole message, and I'm thinking, ah. Oh, Because I know the casual passerby is not going to, I need to hear the whole message. I need to put this in context. I need to know exactly the frame of mind he was in. I know the frame of mind, but I'm thinking, man, this this could be taken wrong. I think Pastor Earl's even said that, that he has to be careful with the clips that he puts out because even though it's a great point, he's he's, he's communicating that to people that are never going to go listen to the whole 50-minute clip. That's a short one. The whole 50-minute clip, they're they're only going to listen to the 15, and they're going to come to a conclusion and reduce him to that statement, and and they're not going to put it in context with everything else. And Paul is saying, I made sure to give you the whole context, the big picture. Now, this is what's interesting to me. Paul is saying this without having a Bible. Paul is literally, it's becoming the Bible as he's making that statement. And I I texted Josh this morning. I I texted uh, Pastor Earl this morning. It it just hit me. If, If Paul could preach the whole counsel of the word of God without having a Bible, what excuse do I have? 
What excuse do I have to not give you the whole counsel of the word when I have the whole counsel of the word? Paul's making this statement without having a book that you could just go pull off the shelf. Without having an app that you could just pull up the second you, you can't think of a verse, you need to pop something in, in your brain real quick. He's ministering this to people that also don't have Bibles. So he can't make the demand that I just made on you to, you need to be in the word every day. They couldn't do that. They just had to follow the apostles' teachings. They had to actively, that's why they were meeting in homes daily because they didn't have Bibles that they could just pull up. I can promise you right now, there's small groups meetings. uh, You know, our small group meetings today look way different than their small group meetings. We just want to get around and, 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 you know, eat stuff and put the kids in a bedroom somewhere and just hang out as adults and maybe throw a few scriptures and a a lesson outline in there. But I'm telling you right now, theirs was, we need this. This is our daily bread. I cannot survive without hearing more of what you were saying the other day. They would teach it in the synagogues. They would teach it in the temples. But they made sure that this was a daily practice. And he said, I've given you the whole counsel. The whole counsel. We are without excuse today to live only the portion of God's love or the parts of God's love that we like. When we have a word that shows us from cover to cover what his love looks like. We shouldn't be challenging and questioning and wondering today. There should be no confusion today. There should be no perversion or distortion when it comes to the love of God. And I believe that if we live out what the the word lines out as the love of God, it will set us apart. Again, not even just from the world. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Because part of, part of the, the love of God that, that, that we highlight a lot is its accepting nature and tolerating nature. And, and it just gives you another chance and another chance and another chance. And you know what that's created? That has created people that willfully sin knowing I can repent on the back end. Guys, that's probably the greatest abuse of God's mercy and grace known to mankind. Just being honest. To actively sin. Disobey the word of the king. Knowing that there's blood. There's, he'll forgive me. I can tell you right now, that, that's not why he created mercy and love. That's, that's not why he created forgiveness so that we can live however we want and come back and say, I'm sorry later. We have accepted a form of love that is more reactive than proactive. We believe that the only power the love of God holds is to get me out of something when I've gotten myself in a mess. And I can promise you, his love will get you, keep you, out of the mess so you don't even have to fall into it in the first place. And right there, I get blank stares and I get quiet rooms because that that goes completely against what we have accepted in the, the loving nature of the Father. You know what one of the most confusing stories or has become one of the most confusing stories in the Bible? The prodigal son. The 
prodigal son. We love the story of the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son got to have his cake and eat it too. Come on. He got to go live and party with the world. He got his father's, uh, 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 you know, inheritance. Got to run off and satisfy his flesh and gratify his flesh and do all the lustful things his flesh wanted to do. And when it, ran, when it ran out, guess what? He got to go right on home, run right back to daddy, and then daddy not even just made him a servant or a slave, put him right back in the house, made him a son, put a ring on his finger, a robe on, uh, sandals on his feet, a robe on his back, killed the fatty calf, held a party and a celebration. And we think the love of God is go do what you want. I'll even, you can do it on my dime. People are sinning on God's dime, on his grace and on his mercy. They're not even on their time. They're on his time. Because I can come back after I've had my fill of the world. He's going to put a robe. That's what it says. But it's to help you understand that you should have never left the house in the first place. That everything you wanted and needed was back in the house. And so we've twisted. We have, we've, we've been sold a bill of goods. We've traded in proactive love for reactive love. We've traded in the, the, the capacity of what Jesus did on the cross to redeem you and restore you and keep you out of something. And we've, we've settled for, well, as long as you can get me out of it after I've blown it. It's a dangerous way to live. I could tell you stories of individuals that when they lived in the world, did certain things. And because of the grace of God and the mercy of God on their lives, they weren't taken out. But once they came into the kingdom and they learned some things and they became and got to know some things, one incident back into a world that they used to live and do on a daily basis, one incident killed them. Absolutely. Because God's mercy and grace is not an extension. We, we've, we, we have... We, we've confused mercy as tolerance. He's giving you another chance to respond favorably. Not letting you just run your course however you want, hoping that you'll come running back. It's in our songs, guys. This twisted idea of love is in our songs. There was a song that uh, came out a while back. I don't even remember who it was. No matter how far I run, you're right there with me. I don't see that. I don't see that. Now, yes, God is everywhere. But the, the, the song in its context is, you're, you're right there waiting for me to come back. No, no matter how far I've gone, no matter, no, matter, no matter, why are we singing that? Why are we singing, because of your love, I don't have to run anywhere else. 
I don't have to seek anything else. Why am I even giving any thought to, you know, as long as I, if I run away, I know he's always going to. Yep. I'll tell you what the problem is. We have allowed the world to inform the church on God's love. Guys, make a decision today. Make a decision today from this point on that you will not allow people that don't read the Bible to tell you about the Bible. Let's just make that decision. There's no other profession that that works in. My wife and I, we just took a a, a short little trip, flew, and there was never a thought in my mind Hey, I think I need to go tell this pilot how to fly this thing, how, how I think it should be done. Hey, hey you, you want to go here? We don't want to. We don't want to go this high. Let's stay, you know, twenty five thousand elevation. That's fine. We don't. We don't need it. You try sitting in a doctor's office with a diagnosis and him giving you a procedure and respond back with what you think should happen. but we're going to let the world tell us what God's love looks like? But see, we've left the seat of demonstration, and they have taken it. We've left the seat of this is what God's love should look like, and they've jumped right in the seat and says, oh, we'll tell you real quick. It tolerates this, it accepts that, it allows this. You know, I'll be honest, if, if you had a natural father that fathered the way we think God fathers his children, he would have lost custody of his kids a long time ago. Am I right? Y'all okay? Y'all right this morning? We're talking about being distinct. The only alternative is to blend in with the world's idea of what God's love looks like. What God demands when he's talking about his love and I'm pouring out my love. And I'm telling you right now, you know, we, we, the statement, don't judge me. This isn't judgment. But you do realize there is a judgment day. You know, there's a book in the Bible called Judges. But that's almost a four-letter word in the church today. The only ones that don't want to be judged are the ones that are doing wrong. When you're doing right, I'll stand square, chest out. Yes, Your Honor, I know I'm completely innocent. I know I've done right. I know I'm not in the wrong. Man, you, you are bold. You're not hung down like, who's he going to... You know, I talk about speeding in here a lot because y'all know about my heavy foot. But, you know, there's times where I'm going the speed limit. I do that. I promise. I go to the speed limit. And I'll see a cop, and my first instinct is to take my foot off. Why am I jerking? I was going the speed limit. Sometimes my wife, gut gut instinct, she'll say, slow down. There's a cop. I'm going the speed limit right now. I'm I'm completely in the right. I'm not, I'm actually doing exactly what that number on the, what what the speed suggestion says. What do y'all call it? 
<laughs> Suggested speed. Oh, man. John chapter 3. If I ask you, what's a verse that everybody in the world knows, whether they believe in God or not, what are you going to say? Say it bold. John 3.16. Even unbelievers know this verse. And what is the premise and context of the verse? For God so... I mean, if that doesn't get the point across. They put it on their jerseys and they, they, they post it everywhere. And then they have no heart of the Father at all. They don't even know the love of God. See, God is not somebody that you learn about. It's someone that you get to know. You got to know the heart of the Father. And that's relationship. How can you talk to me and quote scriptures to me about the love of God and you don't even know Him? I know Him. Have you ever known someone, had a deep relationship with someone, and then someone else that acts like they know or maybe be an acquaintance and they'll try to tell you about that? And you're like, no, that's. Not true at all. They don't like that kind of food. They don't do that kind of thing. You don't even know what you're talking I know them. And especially if it's, you know, defaming them or talking ill of them, you're probably going to respond back defensively and say, that's not their character at all. You've got this mistaken. That, they would never say it. They would never do that. Well, I heard. The world wants to come to us with their I heard. And they're winning because we don't know. I heard, I heard God accepts this kind of lifestyle. Well, w- would you allow me to introduce you to him? Because I know him personally. And I, and I know where he stands on that matter if you really want to know. Well, what's your opinion? I don't have an opinion. But I can tell you what my God says. I can tell you what the king says. Because John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For the, for the real deep thinkers, they might make it to 17, but, but they don't, we rarely get to the following passages. That again, if we put it all in context. Might, might sound a little different than for God so loved the world. I mean, let, let's, just, let's just break that down. For God so loved the world. That at really at the end of the day, what's the qualification to earn God's love? Just exist? Breathe? I mean, if I can't do anything to earn God's love, then I, and I can't do anything to unearn God's love, and that's honestly the, the lowest form of relationship. He's got to love me because he created me. He says, for God so loved the world, I'm in the world, he loves me. I mean, there's not even any depth to that. I mean, would you be okay with that in your marriage? 
I mean, I married her. I, you know, I love her. Would that be okay? No, you want reason behind it. You want depth behind it. You want something that says, he doesn't just love me when, when I'm doing this, when I'm doing that, and if I'm here, if I'm there. No, you want a God not that is just loving you, but is pleased with you. It's pleased with how we respond, with, pleased with how we are uh, 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 promoting kingdom values, pleased and, and not just, uh, you know, I, I say it all the time. I, I, you know, I love my kids. I got my oldest right in here. Now he's, he's in uh, uh, the current and the youth now, so he gets to move up and sit in here and listen to me talk all the time like he doesn't get enough of that already. And, yeah, there's nothing that they can do that, that will ever cause me to not love them. But am I always pleased? <laughs> That's right. Keep your head down. No, of course not. I mean, I've already had displeasurable moments with my two-year-old. And y'all are like, with a baby? Oh, they're so sweet. Yeah, come to my house. Let him give you that look when you tell him not to do something. Let's see what it does to the insides of you. Yeah, send them to the grandparents, and I have to undo everything that they tolerated for a week. Oh, it's so cute. No, it's called disobedience. That's not cute. There's nothing cute about sin. Nothing cute about smarks. What you going to do about it? Grammy lets me do it all the time. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure she does. Now you're coming back to boot camp, and we're going to correct it all. Love is a funny thing, isn't it? He who believes in him, verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's amazing how now the conversation has changed from God loving us to, but what does man love in return? But they loved, for God so loved the world, but the world loved the darkness. But I'm going to heaven. Man loved the darkness, but at least I know where I'm going to go when I die. That's a reduction. That's shrinking back. That's shunning the whole counsel of the word of God. Because verse 20 says, for everyone practicing evil. I heard someone make a statement recently. He said, how do you know if you are practicing evil? And they said, when you get good at it. Right? Because practice makes, you get better at what you practice. That's the whole intentionality. Practice is intentional, right? No one, no one loves practice, but you practice it so you can be more proficient at it, so you can get better at it. And then he took it a step further. He says, you know that you have gotten too far when you sin and it doesn't even bother you anymore. It, it doesn't need, honestly, guys, this is what has confused the love of God sin. Really, it's a conversation 
not about what God loves. It's really a conversation about what God hates. And we don't believe in 2022 that God really hates what the word says he hates. Therefore, if I don't believe God hates what he hates, then I'm questioning what God loves as well. Because you can't love well until you hate well. You, you, he loves you because he hates sin. We're talking about a God that in the first three chapters of the book, off of one incident, eating a piece of fruit, removed man eternally from the Garden of Eden. You know God wasn't a grandfather because grandparents would have slapped on the wrist, hey, it's going to be okay. You knew he was a dad that moment because he said, out. And no timeout chair, no slap on the wrist, no take away your stuff and you think about it. He said, out. That's the same God today, by the way. That's the same God. He's no different. He hasn't become more lenient in his older age. He's still that way. Now, I'm not here to give you a harsh, demanding God that can't be pleased and can't be served and can't be loved. And, and, and oh, it's just so difficult pleasing God. And this, this, this life. No, I'm telling you, he's given you the best life on the planet. Can I, can I just help you with this? If somebody is correcting you, they love you. I'm going to say it again for this side. If somebody is correcting you, they love you. Let's just go ahead and come to the conclusion. If somebody's correcting me, they're invested in my life. They're correcting me because they love me. We have created this whole thing uh, uh, in, in, in churches now, in churches. This whole culture where correction's not even received anymore. Correction's not even welcomed. Just let me do my thing and you do your thing. We throw out verses like, if you have a brother that falls in sin, go and pick them up and restore such a one. No, we call it being judgmental. And we have verses to support that side too. No, the Bible says those whom God loves, he chastens, he corrects. I don't correct what I don't care about. But you always correct what you care about. You always correct what you care about. It's actually an absence of love to allow someone to go in a direction that's dangerous and damaging and not say something. You would have your children removed from your home in two seconds if you allowed them to, if you parented the way you think God ought to be parenting us. It won't work. No, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. We avoid exposure, but yet that's exactly what light does. Light exposes. It sounds like we should be living a life where we want those things exposed. 
not exposed for ridicule, not exposed for criticism, not exposed so we could be defamed, and, and, but exposed so that it can be corrected. The, the, the first state of accepting sin in our life is hiding sin in our life. That's the first step. And we get so busy hiding it that we eventually just accept it, allow it. It becomes natural. Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. God is love. God is love. I want to read um, some of these verses here in the Amplified. Let's start with verse 18. He who believes in him, who clings to, trusts in, relies on him, is not judged. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For, for him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe, cleave to, rely on, trust in him is judged already. He has already been convicted and has already received his sentence because he has not believed in and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. The basis of the judgment, indictment, the test by which men are judged, the ground for the sentence lies in this. The light has come into the world, and people have loved the darkness rather than and more than the light, for their works, deeds, were evil. For every wrongdoer hates, loathes, detests the light, and will not come out into the light, but shrinks from it, lest his works, his deeds, activity, conduct be exposed and reproved. But he who practices Truth. Everyone say truth. There is one thing that God loves more than you. There is one thing God loves more than you. And it's his word. It's his word. Sin is simply, we, we've heard all sorts of definitions for sin, missing the mark, uh, you know, going against the will of God. The most easiest, comprehensible, simplest definition for sin is this. Disobedience to the word of the king. Disobedience to the word of the king. I want to remind you that in the garden, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were completely perfect, meaning shameless, meaning had not sinned had not disobeyed, had not gone against the decree of God, had not missed the mark. And the word of God was actually the most loving thing God gave them. Because the word, do not eat this fruit, do not eat the fruit of this tree, would have saved them, would have saved them so that Jesus didn't even have to come and save them. We, we've lost the value for God's values. 
We've lost the value for God's word. I mean, we, we live in a world today that sins at will. We, there, 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 there's church people that sin. And, and, and you know what the Bible actually tells us? You can be free from sin. You can see Jesus didn't just come to free you from the punishment of sin. He came to free you from the power of sin. He said, do not let sin master you or rule in your mortal bodies. You know what? Most Christians, I'd probably say 98% of Christians have written off living a sinless life as something that can never be achieved. I mean, that might even blow your mind right now. What if I live my life so endeared to God's word, God's truth, God's decree, that I could be like Adam and Eve in that garden. I receive a word that keeps me from having to disobey and sin and actually respond in like manner. Many of us have written that off. That sin is just the natural instinct. And when, I'm, when, when, I, lose, when I lose the understanding of how God views sin, then I can't understand his love for me. I can't understand his love, his love that doesn't want to just reach down. And let me, let me, here's one, here's one. If I haven't uh, killed any cows yet, uh, this one ought to do it right here. If I haven't offended you yet, get ready. We love the story of Jesus leaves the 99 to go get who? The one. Can I just ask you a question? Would you rather be the 99 or the 1? Why not just be the 99? And what do you think he does with the 1 when he goes and gets it? He brings it and joins it with the 99. So do we have to live perpetually in this state where he's always having to leave the 99 to come get the 1? Bring it back in the sheepfold? Now you're in the family of God. He's, he's redeemed you. He's restored you. And here we go wandering off again. Do, 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 do. Got wedged over here between these two rocks. All right, let me leave the 99. Go get the one. Now I'm thankful he leaves the 99 to go get the one because I used to be the one. I was once the one. He came and got me. He didn't have to. But now I want to stay in the sheepfold. I want to stay in the family. I want to stay on this side. I want to keep wandering off and getting stuck on that cliff. Because one day I'm going to fall off the cliff and it's going to be, it's going to be done. I'm telling you this, religious things that we've accepted. He goes to get the one. He goes to get the one. And so we just constantly want to be the one. I want to be in the sheepfold. I want to be with the family. I want to be under his covering. And I'm thankful that he's repent. But you know what? I don't want him to have to keep redeeming me so he can go redeem somebody else. And I can help redeem them. He redeemed me. He can redeem you. He saved me. He can save you. I know that this doesn't jive with uh, 2022 American idea of, of God and love and how, but, but this is what we have to open our eyes to, that God's love is greater than just always having to save us out of stuff. He saved you. He redeemed you. He restored. He made you greater than you even know you are. 
That's why, that, that's why you're such an, a threat to the enemy. That's why you pose such a threat. That's why he's wanting to disconnect you from the Father. That's why he's wanting to distort and pervert this. Because you're always chasing redemption when it's a past tense deal. He has redeemed you. Now live in the redemption. Man, if I blow it, I've got forgiveness. Yes, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But you understand that's still a repeated act of something he's already done before. I had someone tell me the other day, he said, if you want to shrink a church, just preach on holiness and righteousness. I'm like, you mean preach the Bible? Guys, I, I, I know, I, I, I under, I'm telling you, this is not hard to hear because the word is difficult. It, it, it's hard to be fed steak and potatoes when you've been chewing on marshmallows and ice cream. So it's not what I'm giving you that's hard. This is the nutrients. This is the meat. This is what's going to change you and save you. But, but, but when we're so used to just, you know, slurping on milkshakes and, 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 and just eating stuff that gratifies and satisfies our taste buds all the time, when I give you something that actually contains some real nourishment and nutrient, at first it's like, oh, man, that's, that's a little gritty. That's not... But you know what? If we learn to chew on this a little more, I wonder who we could be as a church. Instead of having to run to an altar every single weekend to get saved, that we could be busy making altars out there and seeing the saved and the lost and the unbelievers and those that don't know the Father at all come to repentance. Worship team, would you come on up? John chapter 13, verse 34. John chapter 13. I hope you're hearing my pastor's heart this morning. I hope that you're hearing the Father's heart this morning. Paul said, I did not refrain from giving the whole counsel. I cannot shrink back. I cannot. it, 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 It gets me to my core when I see the love of God perverted and distorted the way that it is today. There are people living openly. I'll go even further. They're celebrating their sins because they believe there's a God that has made a way for them regardless of what they do. And I'm telling you today, there there is an answer. There is a solution to all this. But we have to get back to God's way. We have to stop making up our own way. I mean, if I, if I, if I gave you, and if I gave Mr. Keith an instruction, say, Mr. Keith, I'll go stand out by the door. And anybody that has a red bracelet, a red bracelet, and I'll show you what that red bracelet looks like. You let them in. If they do not have the red bracelet, they cannot come in. But then you start letting in maroons. Come on, just a little shade off. It's almost red. Before you know it, we're letting in oranges. Come on, you know the shades keep going. Orange turns into yellow, and the yellow turns into green, and the green turns. And before you know it, we're, we're letting in blue wristbands. And I'm like, how do blue wristbands get in here? 
Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were close. I mean, it was, it was right there. I'm not saying that, that, that God is eliminating people. I'm saying he has given every single person on this planet the same access, the same opportunity, the same chance you and I have had. I don't want someone to come into the kingdom on a reduced level. I, I, I don't want to trick someone into the kingdom. Does that make sense? I want to let them know, man, this is full surrender in here. Man, the blessings in here are incredible. The blessings on the other side are amazing. I mean, he's, he's for you. He's not against you. But, but we, we believe in a God that keeps his promises but not his commands. Not his standards. And this compromises our view of love. Now the Bible tells us, speak truth in love. So now I've just taken week one and week three and I've combined them. The truth of the word of God, speak it in love. But, but let me tell you right now, love is not, well, it, it's okay. Love addresses. Love confronts. Love lets you know, man, if you're practicing evil, that's not going to be tolerated in here. Your, your wristband's a shade off. There's a standard to keep. And yes, he's patient. Yes, he's long-suffering. Yes, he's giving you opportunities. But that's exactly what mercy is. Mercy is another opportunity to make the right decision, not a tolerance for the wrong decision. I mean, we've all done that. I remember doing that as a kid. You know the standard is this. Wake up at this time or take the trash out or, or, or you know, brush your teeth or whatever. And you get away with it. Maybe I didn't brush my teeth at 9 o'clock, and now it's 9.05. They didn't notice. Well, 9.05 becomes 9.10. 9.10 becomes 9.15. Before you know it, it's 10 o'clock, and my dad's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to brush your teeth at 9 o'clock. But you kept pushing the envelope. Rather than recognizing this was the standard. Yeah, all the parents looking at the, at the kids right now. You, you hear him? He's talking about brushing your teeth. Talk about living right. Because the love of God is the greatest asset to you living right. There's, there's so many views and so many Jesuses that we accept. And I would agree that to some degree, he is all of them. He's the suffering servant. He's the wounded lamb. He's the, he, he's the roaring lion. He's the mighty warrior. Come on, as I'm naming them, some of y'all are like, mm, yeah, that's, that's my Jesus. I got, I'm, the, I'm the mighty warrior Jesus. I, I'm the wounded lamb Jesus. I, I'm the, but I'm telling you right now, when he comes back through the clouds, I heard someone just say this past weekend, if you want an idea of who Jesus is, take a look at how he plans on coming back to this earth, riding on a horse, declaring he's king of kings and lord of lords. This is my way. This is who I am, and I'm coming to confront everything that was confronting my people. God's wrath is always directed at what opposes what he loves. God's wrath is always directed at what opposes what he loves. 
Know this, that the, that the enemy's going to pay for every time he's tempted you. He's going to pay for every time he, he betrayed you, for every time he, he caused you to stray away. He's going to pay. But now your response has got to be to the king. Your response has got to be to, I don't want to practice evil. I don't want to live in darkness. I don't want to just habitually live this life acting like you're giving me another chance, giving me another chance, giving me another, giving a little more rope, a little more rope until I hang myself. I want to understand you giving me rope so I can pull myself back into this thing and be an influence for the kingdom of God. Last verse. A new commandment I give to you. John 13, 34. John 13, 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Here it is. As I have loved you. You understand what that is? Before Jesus showed up, that wasn't possible. He just set a whole new standard of love. He just took man's standard of love and says, I got you. Come up here. I'll show you a love that you can't even comprehend. That you'll pray to know the width and the the depth and the length and the height of the love of God. He wants to show you a love today that's beyond comprehension. He wants to show you a love today that maybe you've never known, you've never seen, you've never experienced, you've never encountered. His love is greater, but you can't push back on the correction. You can't push back on the exposing. You can't push back on what you call judgment or being judgmental or Christians. You've got to accept this is the standard. And when I accept the standard, I'm going to see a whole new side of love I've never even known. You understand if you dumb down sin, if you reduce sin, you have to also reduce grace. You can't have powerful grace with powerless sin. Sin is powerful. Sin is great. Sin is mighty. Sin is strong. You know that. You've been trying to break certain things for years and haven't been able to. But his grace, his love is even stronger than that. Even greater than that. So let's make a decision today to love as Jesus loved. To love as Jesus loved, meaning I will redeem you and restore you from this adultery that just took place. You should have been stoned and killed in front of everybody to watch, but I'm going to redeem you and no one else can. I'm going to do what only I can do, but I'm still requiring of you, go, sin no more. And he told that to a lady that didn't have a Bible, didn't have a good church to go to, didn't even have a Savior to call on. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. And he still said, go and sin no more. Why? I want to show you how much I hate sin. I want to show you how much I despise that sin that has so crept into your life. It's ensnaring you. It's keeping you from knowing who who I really am what I really want to do for you. Would you stand with me? I'm not going to make this long, drawn out, but I just want us to take a moment and become reacquainted with the Father.
I mean reacquainted. I mean, get to know him and who he really is and what he really has for you. So just close your eyes. This is just between you and God. This has nothing to do with your spouse, with your kids, with the person on the left and the right. This is between you and God. This is your heavenly father. And I believe he wants to get reacquainted with you. He wants to transform you. He wants to show you how much value and worth you really do have. So much so that he sent his only son, his only son, to die, gave his life for you. Come on, you can talk to him. He hears you. He hears you. Talk to him. If you need to repent, repent. If there's something you need to get right, get it right. He's ready and waiting to forgive you. Ready and waiting to restore you. Ready and waiting to welcome you. He wants to welcome you and separate you from. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.